0: Hello and welcome to the Mind Springs podcast with me, Alistair Appleton. I hope you enjoy what you hear, and if you'd like to find out more about us, then visit mind-springs.org. I've always been interested in Eastern philosophy, and I came across this this phrase again out of the um, Hindu scriptures, which is "vakruti evam pakruti," which um, some, many ways of translating these things, but the one that I'm going to use is this diversity is what nature is all about. So this was a this was an extremely powerful sense for me that actually it wasn't about being one thing or the other. It wasn't about being gay or straight, or male or female. It was actually about being profuse and exuberant. And that actually the universe doesn't work by splitting, it works by profusion, by and-and. You can hold these two things simultaneously. You don't need to split. A sort of profusion. And this was, I, I, I made a lot more sense of this when I started to study as a psychotherapist. and was thinking particularly because my clients often come from, the, from this group of, of people to think about homophobia. And I came across this wonderful book by a man called Bruce Badgermill, called Biological Exuberance. And if you're ever in the library and they have it, I would—it's worth half an hour sort of flicking through it. Essentially, uh, Badgermill's book is a compedium of of other sexuality in the animal kingdom. So it gives example after example after example of non. Heterosexual, non-reproductive sex pairings in the. Um, let's see if I can get some examples here. In the animal kingdom, and he argues very strongly and gives a lot of evidence that actually this Darwinian idea that we're only on on the planet to give birth to other creatures is um, is flawed. So Thomas Aquinas' natural argument that homosexuality is a sin because it's not natural is flawed because actually when you look into the natural world without having the blinkers of um, well, the heterosexualist reproductive Darwinian goggles then you actually see that all the evidence is stacked up to profusion to this extraordinary exuberant variation and he gives lots of uh, (laughs) often quite comic examples of how creatures often do not reproduce. There are some species, I've got them mm, here... Mm, mm. Many species have non-breeding individuals, some individuals, somewhere more, than, somewhere more than half don't breed. The American bison, right whales, only 50% of these species breed. Three quarters don't breed in the black buck or the giraffe. Or well, in 95% of New Zealand sea lions, North elephant seals and naked mole rats do not reproduce. So the majority of these species do not reproduce. So his argument is actually reproduction is wonderful and necessary, of course, but it's an incidental byproduct of the goal of nature, which is not necessarily rampant reproduction, but he argues exuberance. He takes George Bataille's idea of the general economy, that actually what we're dealing with in life is not scarcity, it's not that we're all battling over a little thing, but the Sun's energy is so vast and so infinite, that actually nature is about expending this resource in ridiculously various ways. Which is why we have hyenas that give birth through the clitoris rather than the vagina, where we have caterpillars that turn into chrysalises and then turn into butterflies, where we have birds of paradise, where we have exuberance and variation. Because the underpinning idea of life is not about just reproduction and die, it's about splurging the gift splurging the energy in as many variant ways as possible. Um, he's, and he ends his book with this lovely... Sorry, I'm not very this. There you go. There you go. This lovely quote. Earth's profusion simply will not be contained within procreation. Lives of intense briefness or sustained incandescence, whether procreative or just creative... Each is fueled by the generosity of existence. And this had a quite profound effect on me when I was thinking about homophobia and my own internalised homophobia. And I suddenly realised that I had bought into the cultural and religious and spiritual arguments about why I was a bad person. And this has profound consequences, not least on the enormous symptoms that I mentioned at the beginning of this talk about how gays and lesbians suffer so much of mental illness, but also in the terms of this idea of the energy and the vitality that we have in life. Because if we are splitting and we are saying, I don't want that, I can't be this, and I don't want to be that, and I should never be that, and I'm not going to be these, then we are wasting our life. We are barraging ourselves into a smaller and smaller and smaller room and saying no to everything. And this has a a sort of, it's like exorcism. We're getting rid of stuff rather than integrating stuff. And this, you can think of this as being a sort of waste A waste of energy, because there's the red thing, which is the thing that we don't want. So our gay sexuality, for example. And then there's the enormous psychic effort we expend, the red arrows, trying to stop it. So there's a double loss of energy. We lose the first and the second, and when we relax that, when we stop being either-or, and we integrate, then we have a double gain of energy we gain the thing that we were always barraging against and we also free up all that energy we were wasting in suppressing it. So the net effect is we are integrating all this universal energy into our system and becoming more alive. Which is what I start to, started to believe was the true essence of spirituality. Not about being less alive, but actually about being more profuse, more alive. So there's this integration, this integration of the energy of the universe into ourselves, which is tremendously healing and tremendously powerful and tr- tremendously inspiring when you're experiencing it. But then there's also an, another step, because we can be full of energy, but we also need to out we need to move that energy outwards. And this is where I began to understand the role of sexuality. Sexuality, in its widest, most universal sense, is the force that connects us, that spins us out of ourselves, out into the other. Other people, other places, out of this small pool of self, we get spun out and out into the the greater universe. And so, if you like, sexuality is the propulsive force that connects us. And I I started to see that actually connection, after my experiences with ayahuasca, that connection is the most crucial thing in, in spirit. Spirituality is really about connection, why the communion of a church, the communion of a faith is so vital and important. But actually, if we if we strip away the glue and the, the force that compels us to connect, then it, it's very difficult. We're fighting a losing battle. I'm slightly conscious of the time, but um, I wanted to talk briefly about how I then came slightly full circle into, in my Buddhism to a, a sort of more, you could have called it esoteric, but perhaps more mystic wing of Buddhism, which is the sort of tantric Uh, end of Buddhism. So some of the Buddhisms around Tibet, for example. I don't mean Tantra in the sort of cheesy sort of sex Tantra, but in the sort of highest echelons of of Buddhist philosophy. And I went on this very interesting uh, seminar upon Holy Island, which is my sort of place where I work and my spiritual home up in Scotland. Uh, about male and female sexuality and in the Buddhist way of thinking about it. And it had a quite profound effect on the way I thought about it because they, uh, in well, Let me show you a picture. You may be familiar, I don't know if you've seen these, these amazing icons in Tibetan uh, iconography, the Tankas. So they, have, they use a lot of deity visualisation. So they're not actually gods that they worship, but they're gods that stand for certain qualities of of human existence. And I was introduced to two that I wasn't familiar with, one called Chakrasambara, who is what they call a wrathful deity, you can see that because he's surrounded by fire. He has a zillion arms, eight I think, eight arms, all carrying various symbolic uh, instruments. And you can't really see here, but he's actually having sex. Can you see the red, I'm not sure if you can see it, but the red figure sitting on him or hanging off him is his female half. It's, it's rather unfortunate because it, he, he sort of swamps her, but actually if you see a statue, they're equally sized. Obviously if you're equally sized, you wouldn't be able to actually see him, so they sort of make him smaller. But at this level of tantra, there's this, this idea of what Jung would call the conjunctio of the coming together, the the end of the polarity, the end of the either or. But what was particularly interesting for me is the qualities of Chakra Sambhara are not are quite um, boisterous. He's a he's a wrathful deity. He's he's got skulls and knives and tridents, and he's a wild energy. This is right at the very universal end of the spectrum. He's, he's the form, the bliss, the, the kind of wild energy of maleness. And what's most important is that he's not a father. He's not got a beard. He's very sexual. The sexual energy is what drives him into connection with the, his opposite, the feminine. And he represents in the in the iconography, the bliss of form, the coming into being, because at the other side is this wonderful creature, Vadra yogini, who is his opposite number, who is the wild elemental female and what was very striking for me is that she 's not a mother either, you know very often when we think about female spirituality it 's like Lakshmi and the mother goddess and relaxing into the mother. And for me it was very interesting to see that the very pinnacle of, of this, this philosophy was a, a female energy that was nothing to do with motherhood. It was nothing to do with the end of sex that motherhood kind of represents in one way. It was about the full-blooded sexuality of the young woman. And she carries in the one hand a chopper that chops through, because she is the she is the element of dissolving as the male is the coming into form, Vadra yogini is the dissolving the dissolving back into non being, and she has this chopper in her hands that chops through, cuts things up, slices things up, destroys things, dissolves things, and these are all qualities that we don 't really necessarily can when we think of ah oh, the goddess is usually more loving, but and if you're familiar with Kali, that this is a much more kind of bloody, earthy, sexualized feminine. And as I said, she, she represents the wisdom of non-form. And there is a there is a famous another famous conjunctio in in the Tibetan tantra of Vajrasattva and Vajraparati which is the, what they call the yab yum so when these, these, these deities are having sex it's called the yab yung. it's the union of form on the one hand and emptiness or non-form on the other and this feels like it, we're now way beyond sort of whether you're man or a woman or gay or straight this is, from the Tibetan point of view, this is the fundamental tension in the universe the, the coming into form and the dissolving And when we start to think about these as the fundamental, if you like, the elemental, the quarks of existence, then it becomes very liberating when we think about growing up gay, growing up straight, being transgendered, being a lesbian, being a mother or being a... When we come into union, when we come into partnership, we are not coming into union just as a man and a woman. We're coming into union as a man full of the feminine dissolving and the masculine coming into form and a woman full of the feminine dissolving and the masculine coming into form. And if we come together as two men, then similarly we've got a man, a male coming into form and a feminine coming into form and in the other partner, the mirror. So that actually it doesn't make any difference about gender or genitals or coming together in any particular constellation because you are always bringing together the fundamental building blocks of existence the coming into form and the dissolving out of form so that the feminine masculine transcend gender transcend bodies even on this level and on that level all of the kind of either or splitting falls to one side and for me, this is a much more. This makes much more sense as a view of sexuality. Because in this instance, sexuality and spiritual, spiritual, spirituality are identical. They are the same. They are the union. So I'm conscious that I've slightly overspoken, as is my want. But I just wanted to simplify it all and boil it down into a very simple <laughs> uh, phrase which I once wrote in an, in an essay. And seems people seem to like, which is that sex is not about making babies, it's about making friends. And in the wider sense, I hope that uh, when our spirituality blossoms, then it brings us true spiritual friendship. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. And please do join us again for more podcasts from Mindsprings. You can find out more about us and our work at mind-springs.org. That's mind-springs.org.